0: So we've talked about how could a loving God send someone to hell. Uh, we've talked about what, what's going on when we pray. We talked about what happens when we die. Uh, last week, Steve Dengaran talked about what, uh, is, is Jesus coming back soon? And, uh, and this week, we're, we're talking about uh, uh, what does God think about homosexuality? Homosexuality, uh, just, just saying the word in this room causes some, some tension uh, some anxiety within some or or, or many of us. Uh, it's a topic that is is, is prevalent in most, uh, uh, almost all the other arenas of our lives. It, it's it's in the headline news. Uh, it's on radio talk shows. It's in daytime TV. It's a, it's a topic. It's, it's a part of Oscar winning movies. It's in the workplace. It's in high schools and colleges. Uh, it's 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 part of. Uh, political platforms. Uh, Homosexuality is is a topic that is raised uh, quite often, frequently, in most every other arena of our lives, yet when you bring it up in in here, in this room, it does something to you. It it, it does something to us. uh, There's some of you in this room today um, who are are already a little bit uh, nervous about what I'm going to say. Uh, and there is other you who are in the room who are nervous about what I'm. I'm not going to say. Uh, this this is this is a this is what happens when we talk about this topic at, at church. In fact, uh, this uh, this is the first message that I've already gotten feedback on before I gave it. Uh, it, it it's awesome. Uh, I just I just I just mentioned back in May that we were going to be talking about this. Is one of the questions, and man, the emails came. And the letters came and the the invites for lunch and coffee to uh, to tell me how to preach the message came and uh, and you really that that 's all okay uh, because much of it flows from some of it flows from hurt and pain in regards to this topic, uh, some wanting to know okay what what 's the angle what are you going to say and so uh, I, that 's all, all good yeah, in fact uh, i've i 've heard uh, that some people um, wanted to know what weekend we were, we were going to address this question because they wanted to skip the weekend. Uh, I've, I heard of another person who, uh, not directly, but indirectly, uh, when, when I talked back in May that we were going to talk about homosexuality in this series, um, left church for four weeks because somehow they arrived at the conclusion that we were going to have a four-week series on homosexuality. Uh, so they disappeared for a month. Uh, th- this topic, it just this topic, just does something to us. Makes us nervous. Makes us anxious. Uh, and makes us feel a little bit uh, uneasy. Um, yet it's also it's important to recognize that it's a topic that, that isn't happening out there somewhere. It, it's happening in here. This is a, this is a, a topic of conversation that impacts people in this room. There are, are middle schoolers and high schoolers who are being pressured to experiment with their sexuality. Uh, and, and they deal with that on a, on a daily, weekly basis. Uh, there, are, there are moms and dads in the room who've had their world shattered because uh, a son or a daughter has called them and, and said, uh, I'm gay, and it's and, and just rocked their world. There are siblings in the room who uh, your brother or your sister has told you that, uh, that they're gay, and, and, and you're wondering, what, what, do I, what do I do with this? What do I do with that? Uh, there are some of you in the room today, this is your first time coming to St. Lions Church, and you're going, what have I just walked into? Uh, a <laughs> 6.30 service last night, there's a, there's a couple. This is their first weekend here, and you're like, oh boy, wow, uh, I hope they come back. Uh, but th- this this is a topic, it's not it's not something that's happening out there. It impacts people right here. In fact, there, there may be a few of you in the room who your main uh, when it comes to making St. Malian's Church your, your home, you're, you're not so concerned about where we stand on topics like you know, eschatology and predestination and uh, all these other, you know, full immersion or sprinkling. That's not your issue. In fact, maybe the one, one of the main issues for you is where do we land on this topic? And you're trying to figure out if, if this can be a home a uh, place for you on, as we talk about topics like this one. It's it's an important conversation that is happening all around us. It's an important conversation that that we need to have. And and as we as we engage in this in this topic, I just want to tell you up front, you know, as there are things I'm going to say in this message, undoubtedly are going to make you feel uneasy. Um, And uh, there's probably things that you are going to hear me say that you're not going to like. Um, but but I want you just to take solace in the fact that I've worked very hard to make all of us mad. So uh, if you're mad at one point in time, uh, just relax because the person next to you, will get mad at their turn. Um, and uh, and I, I want to ask you this too, is, is that um, listen very carefully to what I have to say. Listen to, to everything. Uh, because uh, there may be a time where you feel like you want to pick up your virtual remote and hit mute and shut me off and be done. Uh, or you may feel the emotions Rising because this is an emotionally charged topic, a uh, politically charged topic. And uh, I want to encourage you when you get the urge to stand up and walk out that you just stay seated and hear me out and, uh, and finish with me. And uh, already some of you are nervous, like, oh, I got to go out and use the bathroom. Don't worry if I see you walk out. You got a kid, you know, your number comes up, you got to pick up your kid. I'm not thinking you're, you're charging out. I just want you to know if you're feeling that inside, you stick with me and, and listen to all. That, uh, that, that we're saying today, because it's a really important conversation to have. So let me dive in just, just by just, first of all, just reiterating that question. What does God think about homosexuality? And let me clarify the intent of the question. The, the intent of the question is, is not, what do you think about homosexuality? That's not the intent of this question. And I want to clarify that the intent of this question is not, not what does Steve think about homosexuality. The intent of the question is simply this, what does God think about homosexuality? And that is, that is the approach that I'm taking in answering this question. What, what's God's thinking on this? And even before I dive into the heart of this message, would you, I'm just ask again, would you pray with me? So Lord, um, having said all that, here we are together in this room talking about something that perhaps no one ever thought we'd be talking about in church. Uh, but it's an important conversation. You've got things to say about it and I just ask you pray you'd fill me with your spirit and that you would accomplish your work um, and Lord, that you would, you would fill me, that you would anoint me, that the words that you, that you would speak through me would be authoritative and that Lord, that you would allow us as a church to have minds that are, that are ready to receive what you would say to us. We just forbid the enemy from, from blocking any truth uh, from our ears and our hearts and our minds. Uh, we want to be receptive to what you have to say to us. I, I really believe that's the heart of everyone in this room today. And uh, so, Lord, we just forbid confusion or frustration or anger, and we just ask and pray that you would, you would reveal your heart to us, and Lord, I I just again declare my dependence on you in that and bring in the word. I, I need you. We, we need you. So fill me, empower me, and accomplish your goodwill in us. We pray in your name. Amen. Let me just start in answering this question by, by telling you the story of a guy named Matthew Shepard. Some of you, you know the, know the name. It's a name that hit the headlines years ago. Shepard, Matthew Shepard was born in Laramie, Wyoming. Uh, An openly gay young man uh, engaged in multiple same-sex relationships. And in his community, he was at a a party. Uh, He was out one night, and he needed a ride home. And there were were two other young men who offered to give him a ride home. When Shepard got in that car, he had no idea what, what was ahead of him because he didn't make it home. The two young men at the party uh, drove him out into the open country and uh, proceeded to do some pretty horrible things to him. They, they tied him to a fence post out in, in, in the country, and uh, proceeded to rob him, and then they, they brutalized him. They, they, uh, they beat him with the butt of a pistol, uh, pistol whipped him, and then tortured him as he was tied to this fence post. And they left him here, left him there uh, to die. And the reason they did all this was because he was, he was a homosexual. Uh, Shepard was, was tied there. He was there for a day and a half when a, a cyclist was just riding uh, his bike through the open uh, country and, and saw this, this body that was tied to a fence post. He actually thought it was a, a scarecrow because it just didn't look human because uh, he, so, he was so beaten up. And as he got closer, he realized that this was a human being who had been tied to this fence post and just horrible things had happened to him. And he called the authorities. Authorities came and they took Shepherd to the hospital. He was in a coma already. And 18 hours later, uh, Matthew Shepherd died. He passed away. This story hit headline news, um, it hit, 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 hit the, uh, you know, the major networks, and the story of Matthew Shepard, there were vigils, candlelight vigils everywhere, and it, it, it prompted responses from people. Uh, it prompted uh, responses from the homosexual community, it prompted responses from, from people who, who have no connection to church, and it also prompted responses from the church, and unfortunately, some of the, the loudest voices that were coming from the church uh, came from churches. Uh, one particular church that's, uh, that's pretty infamous for, for saying some, some pretty bombastic things uh, out of Topeka, Kansas. Uh, this, this church sort of celebrated uh, the death of Matthew Shepherd. In fact, if you were to go to their website uh, and you were to go to the home page of this church, you would see on the banner of that website. Uh, this this tally that's updated on a daily basis, where it literally says how many days that Matthew Shepherd is suffering in hell, and every day it's updated, another day is added, as if this church is 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 engaging in in, in rejoicing in the fact that this young man who is involved in homosexual relationships uh, was beaten and and was killed, and isn't it a good thing that he is, is suffering in hell? And the reason I share that story with you is because whether you realize it or not, that, that there are people outside of, of church who are looking at you, who are looking at us, and wondering if we believe the same thing. And in fact, in many cases, that, sh- that story of, of that church is reflected in, in many other little stories. After one of the services last night, I was talking with a woman whose, whose brother died of AIDS. And and the pastor's wife said to her after her brother died that everyone who has AIDS deserves to die. Now, the world is looking at us, looking at you and I, and they're wondering, is this what we feel, is this how we think? Do we rejoice when, when someone who is involved in same-sex relationships is brutalized, is beaten, is abused, left for dead? Is this something that brings joy to our heart? Because as we go into answering this question, what does God think about homosexuality? We, we need to understand, is this, well, let's ask the question, is this what God does? Does God rejoice? Does he like, yes, another one who's sinning is, 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 is taken out. Is that, is that who God is? Does God rejoice at the death of Matthew Shepard? See, the world, the the church, the people outside the church are looking at you and I and they're wondering, is this what you think? And yes, sometimes people paint in broad strokes, but whether you realize it or not, this topic, this question is one in which many people outside the church look at you and I and say, you, you don't like me. You're against me. And if I really peel down to the deepest core of who you are, You'd like to get rid of me. That's what many people think about the church, but is that really how God thinks? Is that how is that how God thinks? And and perhaps you're here today, and maybe you have for years been dealing with these uh, temptations, these same sex attraction temptations, and uh, and and you're just like, what do I do with this? And and uh, or maybe you're in a same-sex relationship, and and uh, you're wondering, you know, what's what's going to happen if someone he, he hears about it? I want to just state up right right from the very beginning: God's heart is for all people. God's heart is for all people. People matter to Him. In fact, when I was thinking about this topic, I was I was just just searching in my head, I was thinking, uh, who are a people? that are, uh, were, in, in Jesus' day, who were despised, who were looked down upon, who were hated uh, because of their behavior or because of who they, they were. And as I began thinking about that, there, were, there was a people group that came to mind, and it was the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans were, were engaged in different practices than, than homosexuality, uh, but, but the response in the religious community towards them is, is somewhat similar to the response of, of, uh, of fringe churches towards this topic of homosexuality. Samaritans were hated and despised. It, it really goes back, it's, goes back hundreds of years before Jesus' day when the people of God were sent into exile. There were some that were left behind, and uh, they didn't... Uh, you know, they did stay true to, 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 to their faith and they compromised in areas, they changed location of worship and there's all kinds of history to that. But when the Jews came back from exile and they encountered these people, these Samaritans, they viewed them as half-breeds, they viewed them as people who had compromised in their faith. In fact, they were so low on the, in the social uh, structure that the, the Jewish leaders, religious leaders, Jewish people called them dogs, They were on the level of an animal. They they were dogs. And if you dig into the the New Testament and you read stories like, you know, when the religious leaders are trying their very best to insult Jesus, they're searching for words to insult Jesus. They're trying to scrape the bottom of the barrel. How can we really just offend this guy? How can we really get under his skin? They search for words. And in John chapter 8, verse 48, they say to Jesus, Jesus, you are demon-possessed. You're, you're demonic and you're a Samaritan. Whoa, I mean, that's that's an awful thing to say. You're a Samaritan. That's like saying, man, you're, you're the worst. They're searching for the worst words to describe Jesus and they call him a Samaritan because a Samaritan is a despised human being in Jesus' day. Yet who does Jesus go to? Yes, he goes to Jews, but he also goes to Samaritans, doesn't he? He He goes to Samaritans. In fact, many Jewish leaders, when they would travel through Israel, they would go around Samaritan villages. They would avoid Samaritan neighborhoods because they didn't want to be in the same neighborhood with them. They didn't want to be defiled by these these half-breed dogs, these lowlifes. They would travel around, yet Jesus, when he would go and travel through Israel, he would go through Samaritan territory. In fact, he stops in John chapter 4. We read the story of him stopping in a village in Samaria, and he has a conversation with a woman, which is shocking culturally in Jesus' day. And then he has a conversation with a woman who happens to be a Samaritan. And that's shocking in his day. And by the way, she's involved in all kinds of sexual sin. Significant sexual sin. And Jesus stops and he has a conversation with her. And it's so shocking that even when the disciples come back from fetching lunch at Subway or someplace, you know, come to bring food back to Jesus, they're like, oh, what, what do we do? He's talking to a woman. He's talking to a Samaritan. This is outside my comfort zone. Um, Jesus went to Samaritans because because, because Jesus loves all people. He loves all people. God loves all people. It's really important that we understand this. And I want to read a story to you from Luke chapter 10 where, again, we have this this concept of, of Samaritan that's brought up. But if you will allow it, I'd like to to switch a few words to to help you feel the weight of what Jesus was doing in in first century Palestine. I want you to feel the shock, the surprise, the astonishment of of what Jesus is doing in this story uh, by by switching out a few words. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, You know the story of Jesus, he's being pressured by people, they're asking these, these questions. And uh, one of the questions they're asking is, you know, how do I attain, inherit eternal life? And Jesus sums up all the law and the prophets and says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And then there's like this teacher of the law, this religious lawyer who's looking for loopholes and and so he's gonna ask the question, uh, well, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna change this, if you allow the liberty, I want to change this from the parable of the good Samaritan and make it the parable of the good homosexual. I just want to switch out a few words. I want you to hear it. This is maybe where maybe if you get angry, feel the emotions already rising. But listen to the surprising nature of how this sounds because this is what it would have sounded like in Jesus' day. So I'll pick it up in verse 30. The question is asked, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, Came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. The homosexual went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, the homosexual took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense you may have. Now, Jesus is going to ask the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Can you feel it? Here, here's a, an individual who is despised, who is seen as on the level of animals. He's, Called a dog a half-breed. People avoid him because he's a Samaritan. And Jesus is answering a question, who's my neighbor? And he tells the story of a good Samaritan. And then he responds back by asking a question. So which one showed mercy? And the one who the one who cared for this man who was beaten on the side of the road. And Jesus says, Go and do likewise it's an important thing to observe and feel the weight of because when you look at the the statement here, love your neighbor as yourself, I don't know about your Bible, but in my Bible, there's no asterisk by the word neighbor to which you drop down to the bottom of the page and then you get the list of all the people who don't apply as neighbor. I mean, you don't have that in your Bible, do you? In fact, that's why Jesus tells his story. Jesus tells a story because this guy who's posing, who's asking this question is wondering, well, where's the exceptions? Where's the loopholes to this, who is my neighbor? And what Jesus ends up saying is that, no, no, everyone, even the people that you consider the lowlifes are people that you should love. Why? Because God loves all people. In John chapter 3, when, when John, the, the, the apostle, the disciple, is recording the words of Jesus and he says, God so loved the world, there's no asterisk by the, the word world that sort of excludes certain races, certain people from social classes, or people's different sexual orientations. God so loved the world. He loves all people. And we have been instructed to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I really think it's important to define love because that sometimes can be a pretty squishy word. What 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 is love? And so in a in sort of a painstaking way, let me just go to First Corinthians 13 because the scriptures define love. What does this love look like if we are supposed to love our neighbor as ourself, and that's all people? what does that love look like? And just listen as I read these words in First Corinthians 13. And listen to the astonishing accomplishments that Paul will lay out there and how useless they are if there isn't love. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, that's pretty impressive, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, Always perseveres. Love never fails. As we answer this question, what does God think of homosexuality? One of the things we need to be very crystal clear on from the very beginning is that God's heart is for all people, and He is grieved when anyone, no matter what their background, creed, race, sexual orientation, He is grieved when anyone is abused, mistreated, hurt, oppressed, dehumanized. He is grieved because he has created you, and he's created everyone, and he loves people. People matter to him. His heart is for you. If you're here today and you are, you're dealing with the guilt and shame of being in a same-sex relationship or you're in a same-sex relationship, you don't feel any guilt or shame, and what you're hearing today is a little bit shocking for you, or maybe you're here today and you've, you've, you've had some same-sex uh, temptations and in, in that in you just feel horrible about that, I, I want you to know that there, there are people in the room who are having the, the other temptations, and they're feeling horrible about that as well. But you need to know God's heart is for you. He is for you. He loves you and He cares deeply for you beyond anything that you could imagine. And it's very important that we're clear on that as we're answering this question. Now, let me just dive a little bit deeper in answering the question. And let me just tell you that, you know, if. If you've come to Salem Alliance for any length of time, or maybe you've just been here for a short while, you, there's a, a few things you need to know about us. One of the important things you need to know about us is that, that we are a people who, uh, who uh, believe that this is the word of God, that, that this, this book right here, the scriptures, uh, carries full weight in our lives, it's authoritative, it's inspired by the Spirit, and we align our lives to the word of God. By the Spirit of God. We we do this what we do. We come under the Word. When we have a question about how to live our lives, when we have a question uh, about how to respond in a certain way, we have a question, we, we look to the Word and we take the Word of God as serious and we align our lives to the Word. We don't look at the Word as as something that that conforms to us. We don't, we don't make the word conform to our lifestyle choices. We don't make the word conform to what our attitudes are. We look at the word, we read it carefully, and we let it instruct who we are. That's who we are as a church. We believe that this is the word of God. So when we come to a question like this, it says, what does God think of homosexuality? One of the first things we do is we go to the word. What, what does the word of God say? And very quickly, from the very beginning of this book, what we discover is that in Genesis, that God, he creates a man and a woman, and he, he creates the institute of, of marriage, and the only relationship in which that God blesses, the only relationship in which sexuality is expressed in which God blesses is in, the, is in marriage between a man and a woman. You see that from the very beginning of the book of Genesis. The, the only Sexual relationship that God puts his hand of blessing on is a relationship that, that, a, a relationship that expresses sexuality between a man and a woman in, in the security and the safety and the commitment of marriage. It's very clear from the first book of the Bible. And then you go through, through many of the books of the Bible and you see God speaking about this very thing. Hebrews chapter 13, verse four. The writer of Hebrews talking about marriage says marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. That's heterosexual, homosexual. That's the person who is having sex, uh, and they're not married in a heterose- heterosexual uh, setting. That's someone who, who is, uh, who's, it's, it's between a man and a woman. That, anything outside that and outside of marriage, God calls it sexually immoral, and will be held to account to it. That applies to all of us. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, God gets crystal clear on this subject of homosexuality, and, and it says, Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. It's just, it's right there, in black and white in the scriptures. Romans chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. Paul, writing to the church of Rome, speaking on the nature of sin, says God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships, natural, natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves due penalty for their perversion. The word speaks very clearly to this question that we're asking. And, and you may be here, and, and, and those words are, are really hard for you to hear, um, and, uh, and maybe it's just a thought that is going through your head, and it's, it's a thought that it comes up quite frequently. When I've been engaged in conversation with people who are in, involved in same-sex relationships, uh, one of the, the, the points of conversation is, well, I, I can't help it, I was born that way. These things, these scriptures, they, they don't apply because I was born that way. And at first I used to think, you know, oh, come on, you, that, that, that's not true. And then as I began to evaluate my own life and think about uh, who I am, I thought, you know, th- there are some things that, that come naturally to us. There are some things that from the day we were born that we have struggled with. So I, I can kind of understand w- w- what's being said there. Now, honestly, scientists have debated this uh, for for years, and if you're going to be intellectually honest, you, you can't arrive at, at this is true or, or not true as far as you're born that way. But I can kind of understand this because I know some of the things that came naturally to me and to my kids. I remember when uh, we were camping one time, uh, we had this campsite that was... Uh, well, it was just kind of you know, pretty average. We had the tent, we had the fire, and we were camping out for a weekend going fishing and enjoying the outdoors. And across from us on another campsite was, uh, was kind of a, the Beverly Hills addition to camping. There was the RV and you know the TV, the satellite dish on top of the RV. I mean, this was like, I don't know if you can call it camping, but it was just across from us. And we kind of had the, the slums of camping and then there's Beverly Hills across the, this road. When I was gone fishing, I came back from fishing, and as I got to our campsite, I, I noticed that, that we had new carpet in our campsite. We literally had uh, carpet laid out in front of the fire. I'm like, wow, where'd that come from? And then uh, my wife and, and children were, were, uh, were popping Jiffy Pop popcorn, and, uh, which is great, but we didn't buy Jiffy Pop popcorn. And, uh, and in fact well Trina had, had seen the carpet and the Jiffy Pop and asked you know where did this come from and our youngest son Cal he was five at the time said he found it and as we're sitting around the fire <laughs> with our feet on this new carpet uh, eating Jiffy Pop popcorn our neighbors from Beverly Hills cross the street and they walk over into our neighborhood and they say um, uh, that's our carpet uh, and we're, oh oh as we were eating their popcorn uh, that they never said anything about. Uh, they took the carpet back to their campsite and just sorta of kept an eye on us. And, uh, and we asked Cal, Cal, I thought you said you found it. Well, yeah, but he, what he had done, he'd walked over into that campsite, he'd gone into the RV, taken carpet, and the Jiffy Pop popcorn. He found it in an empty RV trailer. Five years old. Now get this, we never trained him to do that. We never instructed him. We didn't give him like, you know, how to rob your neighbor for dummies book. It it just came naturally to him. And I don't want to oversimplify this, but the reality is, is that the, the scripture says there are some things that come naturally to us. It may feel like you're born with it. The Bible calls it the sin nature. It's the part of who we are that we are to overcome. It would be irresponsible for me as a father to not tell my son, it's not okay. It's not okay to go to your neighbor's house and steal things. That's, it's, that's not okay. that would be irresponsible of me. And so there are many issues in our lives and it's not just homosexuality. It's a multitude of issues that we are called to overcome because we are being transformed into the image of Christ. And so it's very important for us to know that yes, there are some things that come naturally to us but those aren't excuses to keep us from aligning ourselves to God's revealed will. Let me just go one more place. 1 Corinthians chapter six. If you grab your Bibles and, and turn there with me. It's an important passage that we need to cover. In fact, I'm gonna invite you to stand as I read just a few verses from 1 Corinthians six. It's on page 1131 in your pew Bibles. I wanna read verses nine through 11. And I want you to know that this, this letter to the church of Corinth is, is written to a church that really is Im- immensely gifted but in a mess really in a mess. And Paul is going to write the, he writes these words and I want to read beginning in verse 9. He asks the question, "Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor nor thieves, nor the greedy," nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is God's holy word. You may be seated. A couple observations. If you're... If you've listened to someone from a, from a homosexual perspective teach this text, you may have been told that homosexual offenders means a homosexual who does offensive things. Um, and you need to know that that's not the case. That word, if, you, if, you, if you're serious about your study, go back to the original word there, that's someone who's engaged in sexual activity, that's same sex. And, and you may be told otherwise, but that's not the case. I think it's very important that you know that. Second thing I want you to see is Um, well, let me just ask the question. That's quite a list, isn't it? Where do you find yourself on the list? I find myself on the list. I'm not gonna tell you where I find myself on the list. (laughs) But I find myself there. Here's the point. None of us deserve, none of us deserve the kingdom of God. We all have our struggles. But the implications of verse 11 are huge. And that is what some of you were. You can overcome. Whether it's pride. you need. To, if you're here today and you're in a same-sex relationship, you're struggling with same-sex temptations... You're among a group of people who who have messed up. (laughs) We're all mess-ups. There are people in this room who've lost battles to profanity and pride and pornography and stealing and lying this last week. We've all messed up. None of us deserve the kingdom of God, but God is the great acceptance magnet who draws us to himself and if we turn to him, he pours out his amazing grace on us and forgives and empowers us to become like his son. This is what some of you were. So the question for us as a church is simply this. Will we be a safe place for people struggling with this was struggling with homosexuality. Will we be a safe place for people to work out their salvation? And Really, it's larger than just a homosexuality issue. Will we be a safe place for anyone, heterosexual, homosexual, thief, someone coming out of prison, someone struggling with greed, someone who eats too much food, someone who lies, someone who's greedy, someone who has shady business practices, well, will we allow this place to be a place where, where people who are, are sincere can work out their salvation? And I just want to say to you that that's who, that's who you have been. You have been that. And I thank you for that. But we've got more work to do. We want this to be a place where people can work out their salvation. What does God think about homosexuality? He loves all people. He's created them. He is for them. And the only relationship that he blesses, the only relationship which sexual activity is a part of that he blesses is between a man and a woman in the commitment, the security, and safety of marriage. That's what God thinks about homosexuality.